MyMac Podcast number 263 of our weekly podcast. It's listener invite again, Rob Liefernick. You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. And like I said, it is listener invite week. This is our favorite time of every two weeks for. <laughs> See, you thought I was going to go back and do that goofy thing again, didn't you, guy? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I figured you were going to do. <laughs> so, Guy Cyril, you're here from Virginia. How's it going? Oh, it's going really well. Yeah, here in Michigan, we, we got our first snow last week. Oh, good. Yeah, that's always fun, you know. Well, you, I'm you, sure I'm going to be seeing plenty of that. Very, very shortly. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, David Cohen. Hello. You guys don't get any snow in the UK, do you? Uh, well, we do, but <laughs> it's a bit early bit early for snow here. It just rains a lot. Well, it was raining, and then I went outside this morning to uh, uh, take my daughter to school, and the rain had this very weird white cast to it. And uh, I went, ah, I have a crap. name for that. Yeah, I know. It's called snow, and... Actually, I don't mind the snow as long as I don't have to shovel it. So like I said, this is the listener invite. I love the listener invite. Gets us a chance to meet new people. And the person we're meeting this week is Reb. Hey, Reb. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Where are you at? I'm just outside of D.C. and Virginia, just like uh, Guy is. Oh, I'm sorry. So. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> There's an opportunity that you might actually run into that guy sometime. Yeah. It's a possibility. You know. <laughs> So, what do you do on your Mac? I mean, are you a? I take it you're you're a Mac user if you're listening to this podcast and you're coming on this show. Yeah, actually, I've been listening to you guys for quite a while. I actually uh, started listening to you about two or three years ago when I switched over to a Mac when I got so frustrated with uh, PCs at home. So you you switched to the Mac and you immediately started looking for podcasts to listen to to learn about the Mac. Yeah, you guys have, uh, I, I read up a lot about your guys' stuff and how long you guys have been doing it and started listening to you, and, and uh, it was back when you guys used to have your long, uh, much longer podcast, and <laughs> the information that you, <laughs> two and three hours later. <laughs> yeah, those but, are uh, too no. long. We had to, we, we wanted to slim them down a little bit. And I, and I actually really like your newer format, it, 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 it uh, where you've got like a definitely segmented and what you're going to, you're going to kind of do your topics on it. It's really kind of nice. Uh, but no, I uh, I started listening quite a long time ago when I switched over, and everything that you guys talked about is just like stuff that I've run into and little tips and tricks that I've used. So, what do you think about the Mac so far? Um, coming from a PC systems admin person for over ten years, um, I all I want to do with PCs is throw them out on the street and stomp on them <laughs> and take a sledgehammer to them. Doesn't do they feel clumsy? I mean, the the text doesn't look good. Um, well. It, between that and the operating systems that yeah, keep well, coming out every couple of years, it's just, uh, just a nightmare. Well, Apple does that, too. I mean, pretty much every 18 months, uh, with the exception of Snow Leopard. Uh, Snow Leopard mm -hmm. took and, and Leopard alone took a little bit longer. But usually, around every 18 to 24 months, Apple comes out with a new OS. Yeah, it, it's just that theirs have a tendency not to go... You know, so crazy on the interface from one of the next, it it stays the same. It just enhances. It. It's like, ooh, I like this new feature. Whereas Windows, it's just like you got to learn everything all over again. It's just like, oh my god, it's like nothing is where it used to be. It's like you're pulling teeth to make things work, and it's just, I just want to stomp on them. Well, guys, let's talk it's about Windows for a second. Uh, I know this is a Mac podcast, but you know, we we can talk about Windows occasionally. Um, 
do you let's start with David Cohen. Do you think that Microsoft is going to see a big hit, a moderate hit, or a big flop with Windows Seven? Well, uh, Windows Seven is probably the best product they've done for a while, um, and I th so I, I think people are probably going to embrace it because uh, Vista is really is, is such a poor effort, and Windows Seven is kind of Vista done right. But have you seen it's... that the, on the PC side? XP still has an 80% market share. Yeah, but the, the, most people who get Windows get it with a new computer. So they go out and buy a PC, and it comes with whatever it comes with. And all the people who have Vista are people who've bought a PC in the last two, three years, and it's come with Vista, and they're frustrated because it's not really very good. Now they can either buy a new computer with a Windows 7 on, or they can upgrade to Windows 7, and they'll see... A performance improvement but if you See, look at the the migration path from xp and that's the problem with it, vista a lot of xp users didn't move to vista yeah so well, for, for microsoft the, the... to to do this right they're going to have to get people to, to migrate from vista on their old machines to windows 7 and have you read the instructions on how to migrate uh, yeah windows... and <laughs> to be honest with you i mean much in the same way that that with the approach I took with Snow Leopard uh, on the Mac side, I, I would never recommend anybody do a migration. I think you should always format the machine, start again, clear out all the old stuff, uh, and start with a brand new operating system install. Um, obviously, for Microsoft, um, the principal problem is that most corporate users are, are still on XP. There's very few corporates I come across in my job where they've gone to Vista. Um, and so, and there is no, there is no migration path from XP straight to Windows Seven. No, you have to basically just. Uh, you you know, got to back it up to an external hard drive, erase your internal, install, bring it back from the XP. Oh, it's just, it's a nightmare. Or, or in, I mean, a corporate environment, they're just gonna, they're just gonna blitz the machines. They're gonna say, save your data off. Um, we're going to do it over the weekend. You come back on Monday, it's going to be something different. But, you know, that's a big... The the, the other problem that people are going to have with XP2.7 is it's a really big change in the interface. Oh, yeah. Very radical. And if you if you haven't trained users, they're really going to struggle to uh, deal with some of the concepts that are in Windows 7, the way it, it deals with um, where your documents are stored and, and how things are organized in the system is, is radically different from XP. I mean, once you get used to it, it is a lot better. Um, but uh, but it's going to be it's going to be a big struggle for people, and I suspect, you know, it it'll. I don't. I think that the real thing is that it won't get all that negative press that Vista got because it is a much more solid product than than Vista ever was. What do you think, Reb? Well, yeah. I mean, I've actually got a couple guys at work that have downloaded the uh, the beta version, or not the beta version, but the the, the one year candidate. right the really right the one year system. And, you know, it's, it's all pretty and everything, but once you find out that if you want to buy that version after a year at $300 plus, yeah. which is just, I, I heard that and about fell off my chair. And it, it's, it's pretty, but it's still, you're still dealing with a lot of the Windows stuff that, you, it's like, if, you're, if you've been using Windows for years and years and years, you know what, where everything is at. You know where the control panel is at. You know where all the functions are in the menu bar. You just you know how it works. And now you've got this new thing. It's just like, okay, where is everything? Uh, it, it seems that they're trying to like you know reinvent the wheel um, on a totally different car, and it's, it's still dealing with Windows. I always, I always think one of the problems with the difference between Microsoft and Apple's approach is that Microsoft 
yeah, always seems to build their software like, look what we can put in, you know, look at these features, look what we've put in, look, we've put in all these different things. And the difference between Microsoft and Apple is Apple says, also as well, says, look what we've put in, but they don't put everything in that they think of. They say, right, we've thought of 50 new features, now which ones should we use? Whereas Microsoft says, we've thought of 50 new in. features, let's put them all in. And And by the and, way use every system resource you can to, and to have like five to six gigs of memory you know running your operating system and it's just sitting there spinning in the background yeah guy what do you think windows 7 um yeah <laughs> i use you know, of course we have uh we have xp at work and uh i actually went out and bought a copy of vista that i had on boot camp and you know it was it was okay. I didn't use it really that much. And I got the the Windows Seven release candidate, installed that, and I, I have to say I've been very very impressed with with the direction that Microsoft has gone with this. Now there's been you know as you guys have been saying there's been a lot of changes in, in the way that that you interface with the operating system, not only for your documents but also for uh, control panels and things along those lines. But one thing that Microsoft has seems to be working on uh, as best they can is to to make it easier for a, a typical user to get to the areas of the operating system that that they need to get to and make the changes that they need. And they've they've done a pretty decent job at that. I, I find I find that that the Windows Seven release candidate that I've been playing with. Is is much easier to work with networking, much easier to work with with you know some of the common things that that you plug into your computer, and it's easier to find some of the drivers you know where they're at and how they're going to operate within the system, and it's it to me it, it looks like a really really solid release. I think Microsoft is that this is going to be a relatively a big hit for them. I, I think that I don't think as nearly as many people. Are going to migrate away from from Windows to the Mac, you know, based on their frustrations with Windows in general. I think that uh, it, it it's just it, that 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 this version of Windows is probably the first one that they've had since Windows ninety five that that really seems to be a home run. That seems to be a major break from what they were doing before. Well, I can say that you know I have. Um the ultimate edition of Windows Vista. Signed by Steve Ball. No, 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 no. We're not talking about that yet. No, he's talking about Vista. Right. Vista. Oh, Vista. And I was kind of impressed with Vista. I thought it was so much better than XP, uh, a lot more secure, and there was a lot of things done right with it, but I didn't have, you know, a lot of need to use it, so I didn't delve too deeply into it. But, it, you know, it seemed like Windows, and it was still kind of kludgy, and, eh, you know, next to the Mac, it just... It was kludgy. You know, the Mac is very yeah. elegant. Um, everything is just right there. It's really easy to navigate around the Macintosh and on the PC side on, on Windows Vista. You know, where the heck is this? And you're, I just didn't like it at all for that reason alone. I signed up for the house party, have a Windows <laughs> thing, have a Windows party as kind of a joke. And I never thought that they would accept me because... Uh, let me see. My my domain is my Mac, <laughs> Mac. It's right there. And uh, but I went ahead and signed up for it. Ha ha ha. That's funny. And guess what I got in the mail? Big box. 
all the decorations they want me to decorate my house with, some Windows 7 posters, and yes. Oh, you got to save some of that stuff for me when I see you. <laughs> and I'm yes, sorry, but how sad is it that they actually have to send out stuff to promote their product? Dude, it, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, Let's be honest. Well, yeah, it's, actually, it's, actually the, the everyone site, is talking about it. Everybody's the site talking that does it. this doesn't do it just for Microsoft. They, they'll they'll do it for anybody. You know, if you have an, yeah. a a new brand of cat litter, no, you know, it's like, but, hey, it's this new exciting brand of cat litter. But this and, is just you know, the site that Microsoft and, yeah. is using. This is still this is Microsoft providing this. This that's let's not make any mistake that House Party came up with this idea. This is all Microsoft, and it's all PR. And I don't think that Microsoft cares if you actually have a party. They're using it as a PR tool. And David, I have to say that it's brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's great. Despite the fact that a lot of the buzz is people mocking it, um, they are, are still talking, talking about they're it. Talking still, about yeah, it. They're talking and about it. It means that everybody will know on the day that Windows 7 releases that it's been launched. And, you know, that people have been talking about it, that people have been looking at it. The, I think the reason they accepted such a broad range of people, not me, I might add, but uh, <laughs> not that I'm bitter, Microsoft, but um, yeah, I think the reason they, they accepted such a large number of people because they will they know that it will get a lot of copies out to people who might otherwise have not never looked at the software because, you know, I still stick by the thing that most people will, will get it by buying a new computer. Exactly. So if you're running XP, you're running Vista today, you probably won't get it until you replace the machine. I got to say that this, it worked in the in the sense that I even did an unboxing of it. And I posted yeah. the pictures up on uh, Flickr and a couple other places and I linked to it on uh, my uh, Facebook page as well as Twitter. So they got their PR dollars out of me and I'm a Mac guy. And I, you know, I got to be honest, I was kind of impressed. It came with a signed copy of Windows 7, both a 32-bit and a 64-bit version. And uh, I was kind of impressed with that. And I did install the 32-bit version on my MacBook Pro, the brand new one. And uh, I'm quite impressed with it. I mean, it, it's not bad. It's not, it's not, it's not OS X. No. Uh, but then it's not necessarily trying to be. Of course, the first thing I did was I installed Safari and iTunes and QuickTime. <laughs> and, you know, I put all the stuff that I'm comfortable with. And But it's still kludgy. It's still, you install something, and whether you ask it to or not, boom, there's a shortcut on your desktop. Um, to be quite honest, I don't see the big difference between Vista and Windows 7. It, it feels very much like the same OS to me. And... Obviously, I haven't played with it as much as uh, I don't plan on, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to use it for very much. I mean, what am I going to do with Windows 7? I mean, ugh. And, and maybe for an hour for the first day that I had it, I was using it. And uh, I imported all my bookmarks from my Mac to it so I can, you know, navigate the Internet through Safari on Windows 7. And I'm doing it via boot camp. I'm, I'm not doing virtualization because I wanted to see how fast it really was. And it was taking up a lot more system resources than the Mac does by itself. And I was kind of surprised about that. Well, maybe I shouldn't have been. No, yeah, I wouldn't I, have been you, you haven't You haven't got a, a fully supported set of boot camp drivers yet for it either, mm -hmm. which will be a factor. Uh, everything works, though, David. 
No, oh yeah, I'm not saying every, I'm not saying things don't work, but the kind of the nature of Windows drivers is that things might work, but they don't, might not work as well as if the drivers were properly written. Yeah, maybe. So I'm sure I'm sure when 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 it actually launches and Apple updates bootcamp, you'll see some performance improvements. The thing for me is that I can run the, I can run Windows 7 on a netbook, which is obviously a fairly low-powered machine. Um, and it runs much better on on a one gig netbook than than yeah, Vista is, ever did. Vista was right. unusable on, on the same machine. So to me, that that kind of tells you how much the under under the hood in, improvements have gone on to to try and optimize the performance of it. And to me, that's that's very important because you know what, what people don't want is machines that slow down on and 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 mess up over time. And one of the problems you have if you're running XP. Is that um, it will slow down and mess up over time because as you browse the internet, it will accumulate that malware rubbish that that all Windows machines tend to get. And Windows Seven is more secure, so it doesn't get as much stuff as like like that. Interesting. Let's jump off Windows because I'm gonna fall asleep. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, what do you do with your Mac most of the time? Um, I'm actually a, I guess you'd call it a, a semi-retired photographer from the Army because that's what I did for the Army for about ten years. And I, you know, worked at the White House Photo Lab and did all, you know, wet lab processing and was waiting and waiting and waiting uh, for digital to finally take a hold. And that was back in 95, 97 when I got out. So I've been kind of like, you know, waiting for digital. And when it finally started taking off, I was like, okay, now I can get myself, you know, a real digital camera and, and started using it on a PC and absolutely hated it. It was like pulling teeth. And about, you know, two, three years ago, I said, you know what, that's it, I'm done, I'm switching to a Mac, and, and I will probably never go back for a regular home computer. Yeah, and a lot of, I don't hear too often people say, I bought a Mac, hated it, and I went back and bought a Dell. <laughs> yeah, I, no. I just never hear that one. And I mean, how I'm many gonna... people that own a PC subscribe to podcasts about their PC? Yeah, I, I can't even find a PC podcast. Oh, no, there's a few out there, um, but... I don't think they're even close to the popularity of a Mac podcast. Uh, no. I think that kind of says something right there alone. Yeah. So do you shoot a DSLR? Um, I, yeah, I actually sh I've actually had a uh, one of the uh, the EOS Rebel systems. It's like I think it's like the, we have two of them. My wife has one and I have one. And then I put that down actually about a year ago and started shooting with the brand new Canon G10, which right. is a a fantastic camera if anybody ever gets a chance to pick one up a lot of the pros are shooting it as their their pocket camera because yeah. it has such incredible resolution and such a high megapixel rate that just like when a, when a pro doesn't want to haul around their big you know DSLR with a 200 lens hanging off the front of it it's just like I just want to take a really good picture and I don't want to use a piece of junk point and shoot they all go out and buy this one and I've used it on a couple trips now and I've almost want to get rid of my DSLRs yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've heard that the, uh, the G9, G10 are fantastic cameras. So how do you, um, how do you do your photos on your Mac? Are you, do you, are you strictly iPhoto, or do you use one of the bigger packages like Aperture or Lightroom? Uh, I tried Aperture. Uh, it was a couple versions ago on it, and I just didn't like it. I found that if you know me being a, a basically a, a pro photographer, that if you know how to shoot, you do not, you don't have to edit. Um, yeah. So I basically use iPhoto to you know manage all of my stuff and the newer version of iPhoto which is ten I think I like ten I like nine oh nine yeah yeah I'm, I'm I'm getting the G ten and the O nine mixed up <laughs> but um, yeah I 
I use uh, iLife and I it does everything I need it to do. You know, yeah. very rarely do I ever have to do any real hardcore tweaks on an image that I've shot. So you like photography a lot? Yeah. We uh, I should say we've got a new podcast that's going to be coming out. It's going to be part of the My Mac family. It's called My Phototech Podcast. Oh wow! And uh, it's it's still in development, but it's the first. I don't want to say version. The first episode will probably come out here within the next month and a half, two months. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not, obviously not going to be the talent of the show, but it's going to be one that we're going to heavily promote here on this podcast because I think it's going to be fantastic. And that's open invitation for anybody listening. If you've ever thought about doing a podcast, uh, MyMac.com is looking to produce some more shows. And we're not looking to build a network like, you know, there's a lot of podcasting networks. We're not looking to do that. We're just looking to help people get into podcasting who may have been a little... Uh, hesitant, you know, recording the show is the easy part. Everything else is difficult, especially building an audience. And uh, that's kind of what we want to help people do. We want to help you build an audience. We want to get the shows online for you, get it in iTunes and, and promote it and make it a fun show and maybe earn a little bit of money. It'd be fun, David. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm a big photographer myself, so uh, I'm very interested to hear what... Uh, what the new host, uh, you know, has got to say. And His name is Sandro, expect- by the way. Okay, that's and, cool. Uh, we'll, we'll, um, you know, what we'll probably have to do is get Sandro on this show soon after that podcast launches to talk about it some. I think that would be pretty cool. Do you listen to any other photography podcasts, Rob? Um, I have not actually dived into that yet. Um, I'm also a, uh, you know, a, a, a systems admin kind of guy, so I, I keep up with, you know, numerous systems magazines. And then I'm also a bicycle racer and a vice president of a team. And so I'm up to my eyeballs in cycling and, and photography and, and computer stuff. And I just – sometimes I just don't have enough time in the day. And uh, you just no. bought a new house. Yeah, I just bought a new house too and I've got to <laughs> rent out. And, I, and now I'm also a landlord for my other house. So oh, really? I'm a little busy. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's been kind of interesting. Did you decide to, to rent or did you want to sell and the housing market sucks right now? Yeah, I probably could have sold, but I would have taken a really bad hit. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just sit on it for a year, rent it out, and and just you know just deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of looking at something similar too, and uh, not sure which direction we're going to go yet. But uh, let's take a quick break. We want to talk about our sponsor, Otherworld Computing. Russ Walkowich, a longtime editor at MyMac.com, joined the site in 1996. So I mean, that shows you how long Russ has been around MyMac. He asked me a question uh, via email on what's the best way to get an old computer of his, an old Macintosh. I believe it was a, a MacBook, but it might have been an iBook. I mean, it's it was an older machine that didn't have an airport card. What was the easiest way to get that on the network wirelessly? So I just simply sent him a link from our sponsor, Otherworld Computing, for the MaxPower 802G and B wireless USB 2.0 stick adapter. It's a long name for a very simple device. It looks like a little thumb drive. You plug it into your USB adapter on your Mac, or a USB adapter, USB plug, and yeah. it just, it, it's magic. All of a sudden, your machine is now wirelessly enabled. You don't have to have the internal card, and it works really, really well, uh, up to 300 feet. The nice thing, and Russ really appreciated this, it's only 25 bucks. And it's not tied to this one machine. You can use it to any machine you want. But 25 bucks will put any older machine that you have, if it has USB 1 or 2, 
it'll put them on your wireless network. So it's a real nice solution. I've actually Very recommended good. that for a, a family of mine that, that's, a, that's a good, uh, some good friends of mine. And speaking of Otherworld Computing Guy, uh, yes. when this show comes out a couple days later, actually the day that this show comes out, you'll actually be on the road already heading towards I'm... the Chicago area. Yes, I will. Woodstock, Illinois. And we're going to go up there. We're going to uh, meet with the guys at Otherworld Computing on uh, Saturday, October 24th. We're probably going to report, record a podcast there. We'll do some video stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't, I don't know what to expect at all. No, I mean, no idea. We've, I've uh, Google mapped it and seen the outside of the building from, you know, 10,000 miles up. It's very but green. I, have... I know that. I don't mean the color. <laughs> yeah. I mean, environmentally, yeah, the, the way they built green. it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, they're supposedly using uh, a lot of, of brand new technology to make the site as green as possible. And I'm really into that. Um, I, at least the concept in my own personal life, I'm not very green. But green actually costs money, and I just don't have the money to go green yet. Plus, my house is 118 years old, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the greenest part of this house is probably the moss growing under the, you know, the floorboards or something. But I'm <laughs> looking forward to going up there, not because they're a sponsor. Uh, don't, don't misconstrue us going up there because they're a sponsor. Um, I, I actually want to go there. I like the people that work at the company, and I'm really interested in seeing their operation. I think it's kind of cool. And, and I've gone to other places, too. People. Yeah, absolutely. And I've gone to other places. I mean, I've gone to TechServe and did a podcast from there, and they're not a sponsor. So if you're in um, uh, the East Coast area that's within driving distance from Michigan, not too far away, and you'd like us to come visit, let me know. We'll see if we can work something out. I mean, I think people are interested in that. Where do these products come from? What are the companies? And we're going to find out firsthand, Guy. Yeah, I'm look, I'm really looking forward to it. David, we talked about the the Tweety 2, I don't want to say fiasco, but the brouhaha yes. on uh, two shows ago. Yeah. And uh, we got some Twitter comments asking uh, about a free version that someone thought we mentioned a free version. We'd never mentioned that Tweety 2 was free. We did not, and I, I certainly am fairly clear in my own mind that, that it was never available for free. Yeah. We did get some feedback, and I want to read one in particular from Bob Lewis. And he says, uh, I was just sitting here listening to your 10-2 podcast this morning where you and David discussed the Tweety fiasco. So he used fiasco. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to speak up for the silent majority and agree wholeheartedly with your comments. Too many people think every iPhone app should be free. And oh my God, if the developer dares to charge the price of a breakfast taco for an app that it will most likely use on a regular basis for the next several months. I would gladly pay for a new version of Tweety if I want the features. Sorry for the rant, but I work with a bunch of people who like to shide me on a consistent basis for buying apps and paying for all the content in iTunes. Um, uh, well, yeah, you what's know, wrong with that? What, I, I think what can, you, what can you say? Yeah. I mean, we, we do have this culture now that people expect to get something for nothing. And obviously, there's if you want to get free content um, – and free software or whatever you want. There are places on the internet you can go where you can do that. A, a bigger hey. thing about this, I think, though, and um, Reb, you might be able to speak to this, is that you can't get a full version of a software for your iPhone, try it out, and then buy it. You'd have to literally go up to the App Store and buy it again, except you can do that now. In other words, the demo mode. They, they right. never had a demo mode, but that changed today. Today yeah. is we're recording, I should say. Right. And even on, on other apps, even even it's like you can go at least try the demo mode. It's like, hey, I really like this. And then, you know, fork out the wow, two or three dollars for an application. I mean, 
you know, when you're trying to go and buy an application for like your computer, it's thirty, forty, fifty, two and three hundred dollars. It's just like you end up using it once or twice. It's like this isn't what I really need, and you you find something on the app store and it, and it works the first time. It's just like wow, only two bucks. You know, it's just like a cup of coffee costs more than that. Yeah, but you know, it takes a lot of effort for developers to come up with like a a free version that's scaled back on features. Mm-hmm. And uh, Apple finally allowed free the free apps to have paid purchases. In other words, you can download a light version and then buy it from within that app to unlock mm-hmm. all the full version. So in other words, let's say you want to try to the Garmin or not Garmin, the TomTom GPS, which is a hundred dollars. And that's a lot of money for, for, an, one, app, for yeah. an app. That's steep. But if you could download it for free and try it for, I don't know, a week, and then you could buy it within the app. I think a lot of people would go that route, and Apple's going to allow that finally. I think that's a good thing. And, yeah, I, if, and I think, sorry, Reb, what were you going to say? Well, yeah, even if it was like, even if they they broke it up so it was like across the country, it's just like if you lived on the East Coast, you'd only pay like twenty five dollars for the maps on the East Coast instead of paying for like the entire you know continent of the United States. Or it's like if you lived in England, it's like well, since you live in England, you only need to pay you know twenty dollars for your maps for just England. Yeah, we can we can buy it in two versions over here. We can either buy a UK only or a UK and Europe, and obviously the uh, Europe one is more expensive. Um, but I, I my impression of, of this new move is that is that it's pressure from the bigger software developers that has caused Apple to make this move. Unfortunately, it's not probably not the little guys. No. No, you look at you look at guys like Electronic Arts who are now doing some really really high quality game software. You know, and as good as anything you would get on a PSP or a DS, um, you know they're turning out they're turning out software for the iPhone that looks just as good and is just as polished, and it, and it's it's priced substantially lower than those other platforms. But I'm sure that those sorts of developers are saying, well, actually, we really want to be able to offer a trial version and then get people to upgrade to the to the full full price version because they want to maximize their revenue from from a lower priced game. Hmm. I agree. You know, if if it's a great game, but it costs ten dollars, I might hesitate on buying that because I can't try it first. And well, it costs yeah. a lot of money for companies to come up with a demo version. I mean, that's basically it a costs. whole different piece of software that they have to write. I mean, my attitude to that is that at ten dollars, um, if I if I do a bit of a reading around and it's get the the game is getting some good reviews and it's the sort of game I want to go, I will probably live with that because. Again, if you were to buy, I bought plenty of games for my PSP that I paid full price for that were terrible. Yeah, and uh, and you kind of you know apart from sending sell, selling it onto GameStop or somewhere, you kind of stuck with it then. So uh, I I, w- I would still you know probably probably um, go for more than ten dollars, and then you start to wonder a little bit. But at ten dollars for an EA game, you know I might even if I just fancied trying a game just for one or two players and then might not come back to it. Um, you know, if I was in the mood and I was feeling a little bit flush, I might do that. I don't know. I think that it having a quote unquote demo version that you can unlock by paying for it is definitely the way to go. If it doesn't take the developers a lot more effort to do that, it's just an in-app purchase at that point. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of games that, you know, going back to your example uh, and I'll give you an example of my own. Ghostbusters came out with the video game for the Xbox 360 and the PS3. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to it. The reviews made the game sound like it was really good. 
Uh, and I saw that the PS3 version wasn't up to snuff as far as graphics go as compared to the Xbox 360. So I got the Xbox version, really looking forward to it. I got home, started playing it, and within a half hour I thought, this game is crap. It's extremely boring. It's really hard to control anything. It just seemed lame, and which really depressed me because I was really looking forward to this game. That was a $59 game. And you, and you can't return it. You're out that money. I'm, I'm out that money. Now, because it sucks so bad, I actually traded it in to uh, the purchase of a new game recently, which I still haven't played, but I know it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> but I only got 10 bucks for it. And it's like, wow, really? I just lost $50 on this. Yeah. And had I been able to download a demo, I think there is a demo of Ghostbusters now, but when it, when it first came out, there wasn't. Had I been able to download a demo i never would have spent the money now that's bad for the uh for the company the the developer but i don't care about the developer i care about care about me the guy buying this game and if you get burnt too many times like that david you're going to be a little hesitant and yeah ten dollars isn't a lot but if you spend 50 bucks in a week on you know a few of these ten dollar games and a couple of the five dollar games and none of them are any good you're going to hesitate in the future spending that much money again, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that there, there is an aspect to that. Um, so uh, I, I just hope that the, particularly in the games arena, that they don't do that same thing they tend to do on the Xbox 360, where if the game is not quite as good as people are expecting, then the demo doesn't come out until after the game's been on the, on the store for a couple of weeks, because um, then you kind of feel like there's been a bit of a base and switch going on. We got another feedback from uh, Jeremy North. Uh, do you have it there in front of you, David? It's the yeah, last. I do. Okay. Um, and guy, we need to bring you in on this. Um, let, let's spend just a second before we get to it, and and uh, we'll we'll I'll ask you about that in a second. But what we're using now for show notes and and sharing files for the podcasters that are on the show is Dropbox. Right. Um, I'm really really impressed. Are you on there now, guy? Yes, I am. Okay, I didn't know if David had sent I, you the I, info or not. No, yeah, he sent me the info, the uh, info, the uh, invite, but I don't seem to have the feedback that you're talking about. Well, it's. Uh, are you looking in the my Mac folder? Yes, I am. There's one that says feedback for the next show. Ah. Aha. <laughs> so let, so let the, me ask you, Rob. Uh, have you used Dropbox yet? No, I have not. Okay, I'm and not you're even an iPhone with user. The name. Okay, you're an iPhone user too, right? Okay, what Dropbox does is it puts a menu on your Mac and it creates kind of this folder that's on your hard drive and you can put files in there and it's free to use up to two gigs. You can get, what is it, uh, up to 20 gigs or 200 gigs or you something. Know, they, yeah, they have they have two pay, paid plans. Uh, I think that you can get 50 gig for $10 a month and then for $20 a month you get up to 100 gig. Yeah, but the and free version the is two, two gig gigs. Is, uh, yeah. is two gig is, is ample. Yeah. So what we did here is uh, we all have Dropbox, and David is actually sharing a folder on his Dropbox that's called MyMac, and we can simply put files up there. Now, when you put something in there, it syncs to all the other computers that have that on their machine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with David and Guy and me, uh, we all have this MyMac folder. When someone adds something to there, Dropbox simply syncs it down to your machine, so it's local. 
It's it's very similar to how Plaxo used to work with yep. uh, keeping your names and contacts organized, but it's yeah. where multiple people can sign into it, and you've just got a, a basically a server drive hosted up on their system, that's and right. it does all the syncing. But there's something even greater about this, and that's you can get it for the iPhone. And that's mm-hmm. where the, the power really, really comes in. And I'll give you an example. Um, an author, and I, I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't remember, to be honest, he had a book that he was, uh, it was about Star Wars and George Lucas in particular called Droid Maker. And he gave away the book for free in PDF format on his website. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to download it and check it out. And I downloaded it, but I actually reading a book on my computer isn't really, you know, I don't want to sit here for two hours reading my computer screen. I wish that I could put it on my iPhone, but I didn't really want to get an ebook reader and go through all that hassle. Well, because I put them up on my um, Dropbox folder, and I have Dropbox on my iPhone, now I can just simply look at that PDF and read it on my iPhone. It's awesome. Because the iPhone has a very good PDF view built into it. So you just open the file up. And, and this, this actually overcomes on the limitations of the iPhone. Because of the sandbox architecture, you can't, you can't really move files back and forth from an iPhone to a, P, to a, a Mac or back again. There's, there's very few ways of doing that without using an application. This takes care of it for you. One of the nice things about the Dropbox application on the iPhone is that you can actually specify folders or files to be stored locally. So you can actually say, mark it as a favorite, and then it will actually be stored. So even if you have no network access, you can still read the file, Yep. which is, is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, it's a real, real win. The other great thing about Dropbox is that it's cross-platform. It works just as well on the PC as it does on the Mac. My Dropbox folder is actually, most of what's in there is, is work stuff. Um, and uh, anything I'm working on currently, any projects I'm working on, I make sure that all the files are put in the Dropbox, and then if I come home of an evening and I want to um, check a file or print something off for the next day or something, it's in my Dropbox on my Mac. I can print it to my my local printer at home, and yet and and if I make any changes as well, those are automatically synced up. And then when I get into work the following day, it doesn't matter which of the uh, two or three laptops I might might have with me or uh, machines I'm using in in the, in the various offices and client sites and everything I, I I work on, it doesn't matter because as soon as I'm on the network, then I immediately get all those changes synchronized. So it's it really is a fantastic tool and for the fact that you can get two gigs for free is 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 really really brilliant i think that uh, giving two gigs of, uh, away free probably the vast majority of users will never need that much and they'll never pay for more but for those yeah. who will it's a brilliant marketing move yeah. what, I, what i what i've done with mine as well is i i use one password as a um the the macintosh kind of password generation and sync tool um and i've i've moved the database for that into the dropbox so it's but everywhere. It it's everywhere. That means every Mac I run um, is looking in the Dropbox for that database. That means all my passwords are synchronized automatically to all my Macs for free without having to use Mobile Me. It's pretty amazing. So um, now that we've kind of given given the shout out to Dropbox, no, they're not an advertiser. <laughs> I don't plan but on reviewing well the software, but it's it's really good software. I'm I'm going to give props where it's due. Um, this is a uh, an email from Jeremy North. Yeah. And he specifically talks about uh, Leo Laporte's show. We, t- we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Talk- and, and we're uh, going to go ahead and read it because yeah. um, I, I, don't, I have no fear of ticking someone off because 
I don't care. <laughs> but I didn't write it anyway, so um, well, go ahead. I would, I, yeah, I would hope that, that you know, if, if Leo does happen to be listening, he can, he can accept that this is genuine listener criticism and, and observation. So uh, that's all it is. Um, Jeremy says, the discussion you had about objective reviews was a particularly of interest. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, our review policy. And uh, it's particularly germane at the moment, I think, with some of the changes the FCC are recommending. FTC, he yeah. says. Yeah, he says, I've always appreciated your upfront honesty regarding reviews and sponsors. I have to say there are too many podcasters who blur the lines to the point bordering on deception. In my opinion, the twit lots are among the worst for that. I no longer subscribe to any of their outputs as I got tired of the BS and overinflated egos and mutual backslapping. The way they would big up a product which turned out to be a sponsor used to get my goat. Drobo, for example, the amount of stories they trotted out about hard disk failures saying how Drobo would be a lifesaver, etc. Funny they'd not mentioned drive failure before. The same happened when sponsored by a credit card company. Suddenly, Leo had all sorts of horror stories where this credit <laughs> card company saved him from online fraud. BS. Twip is just the same. With uh, Twip is uh, this week in photography, their um, photography show. It's just the same with its constant glowing reviews of the Lens Baby. I got to the stage when I take most podcast reviews of products uh, as as I, I as I was sure they were being paid to do so by the product company. I would like to hear more honest disclosure from these people. Um, anyway, keep up the good work. Sorry, it turned into a rant. Uh, I didn't think it was particularly <laughs> a rant, but there you go. No, I think it's an honest criticism, and I think that it's not just about podcasts; it's about websites in general. If if a company is paying you advertising dollars and you review their product, you better have some upfront policies regarding how you handle that. My Mac always has. At the end of every one of our reviews, we have a rating, and that rating always links to our reviews page that says exactly what our policy is, that there's a brick wall between advertising and review, always, and that will always yeah. be there. Um, as someone that doesn't produce your own content like we are here, Reb, how, mm -hmm. how do you look at stuff like that? When you go to a site and you see a lot of ads or, you, you know, you can even take the next yeah. logical step in Macworld and they have a review of uh, Adobe Photoshop CS4 on one page and then on the next page is an ad for Adobe. Uh, for Adobe, yeah. right. Yeah, it, you know, it's as, you know, somebody who's been buying software and buying products and, and have spent, you know, numerous dollars buying the wrong product, then, you know, I should have spent the, the extra couple of bucks and bought the right product. You know, it, it's... You literally have to dig deep and hard through the internet and talk to a lot of people to find just like, okay, was this a, a good product review of something or were they basically just blowing the proverbial smoke up your butt yep. to buy the product? Um, and it, it, it gets to the point of where you get so frustrated reading some of the reviews, just like it's hard to tell, you know, are they getting paid or are they not getting paid? And a couple of the reviews that you guys have done for like just on headphones – and the ones that, that you had recommended that you really like, but it's like they were pretty expensive, but at least you said it's just like they sounded great, but man, they're expensive. So it's just like <laughs> you you are under you're you're saying it's just like I really liked them, but man, it's a lot of money, but I really liked them, you know. But it's not like oh, they're they're the, they're the best headphones in the world, buy them, you know. And it's just yeah. like, and then you're just like, man, that's still a lot of money, you know. So it's it's nice to hear that you stand by the fact that you know you're you're doing the review, but you're also stating the fact that it's just like. Not a lot of people have five, six hundred dollars to fork out for a set of headphones. I don't. Exactly. I don't have yeah. that much money. That, that, I mean, this is it's interesting that particular point um, because uh, a few months ago I got into a, a 
a, a real argument with somebody on Twitter, a listener, who um, a guy called Pat Munn, who I hope is still a listener, um, about Drobo. We love you, Pat. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> I hope he still loves us. Um, I really do. Uh, but anyway, he we he we started going back and forth about the Drobo, and he was basically very skeptical of the Drobo. And what it ultimately came down to was he thought it was too expensive, and he didn't see the real benefits of it. And he thought that my I reviewed the Drobo for the site, and he thought that um, my position on the Drobo was influenced by Drobo advertising or Drobo donation of products or something like that. And he felt that because. He'd seen it on so in so many other places because when they first launched the product, it was on Twitch, it was on all the Twitch shows, it was on Geek Brief TV, it was on it was all over the place, and you know it was fairly heavily placed in quite a lot of new media places, um, and he obviously he obviously came to the conclusion that that people were talking about it purely on the basis of the advertising. Now. I explained to him that I really liked the Drobo just as a product. I recognized that it was an expensive solution, but I thought that the over the life of the product, that what it would save you in buying extra enclosures and that sort of thing, actually made it worthwhile. And I also explained to him that I was sent a review unit, and at the end of the review, I paid them for it because I liked it so much. So And they were never a sponsor of ours. That absolutely, no, never you know, but but the thing is, you know, there is there is also this thing, and, and we've talked about it quite openly on the podcast that we don't go out and buy stuff for review. We are often sent products for review, and our review policy states perfectly clearly what we expect to happen is that at the end of the review period, we write the review, and we expect to be sent a shipping carton by the um, supplier, and then we send the stuff back. Yes, and the stuff we all have piles of stuff here that's never been never been asked for back by the suppliers because you know for, for one reason or another either the pr company changes you know the person dealing with you changes and the person who comes in is all is, is not interested in getting stuff back or they don't um, want it back because they it's, don't want it's it back not worth it's not it. geared up what what are they going to do with it they don't really sell open box i'll give you give me a prime example a, a printer uh if it's a $79 printer and it costs them $15 to send it to me and it's going to cost them $15 for them to for me to ship it back that's you know thirty dollars already well it's a yeah. it's a seventy dollar printer what are they going to do with a used seventy dollar printer that i've already used all the ink in in my review that's not really beat up because you know it, reviewers are generally uh, very careful with the stuff that we're reviewing so they don't send return shipping and so my wife says oh great we're stuck with another printer that's and right. you know they just build up you know you what do you do with this stuff? I, I Until the next exactly. time I come to town. Yeah. Now, here's another mm-hmm. printer guy. Please take it. But <laughs> think that, does that that's, in... that's exactly the thing. Is, yes. is that as a re- as a reviewer, you can't physically use all the stuff you're given to review. No. Even if you wanted to even if your sole goal in life as a as a, a product reviewer was to get to keep stuff, yeah, it's impossible for you to actually keep and use and make a benefit of all the stuff that you would end up getting if you did that. So it's it's actually, it, you know, to somebody who's never done it before, they might think, oh, it's great, you get free stuff. But actually, it's um, it's another thing. You, it's another thing you have to deal with, and it's not as much of a perk as you might think. I mean, it would be great if Apple sent us every new laptop and every new Mac that they ever released and said after the end of the review, oh, you keep it, don't bother sending it back. But yeah, stick me on that list, happen. why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're, I, happen, you know. We're, we're very sticklers at MyMac about 
how we're doing reviews and upfront honesty. And I hope people see that when they visit the site. We did recently make a big change. We went from a five point rating system to a 10. And the reason we did that is because too many of our reviews were scored like 3.5 out of five or, you know, four and a half out of five. And that didn't make a lot of sense. Everyone knows what a 10 point system is. Um, you know, we've got, there's four guys right here, right? When you see you a beautiful you. woman, do you rate her on a one to five scale or a one to 10? Come on. <laughs> we go, wow, she's a 10, right? It depends if my wife is in the room. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, but everybody knows that. what a 10 point rating system is. So we just went ahead and, and from a certain date forward, we're not going to go back and change all the old ones because we've got 15 years of reviews. We're, nah, uh-uh. Um, but from this point on, we're just doing a 10 point rating system. I think it works the best for us. Yeah. And just, just one final thing on, uh, just to go back to Jeremy's comment, he was talking about the Twitch shows and the way they present their advertising. And Leo has always been upfront that he feels that advertising works better if it, rather than announce the ad, if it just works, if it works into the show, we do that here though. We, we do that here, but we always make it perfectly clear that we're talking about our sponsor. Leo doesn't do that. That's true. Um, and and that's, that's I think, one of the problems. And Jeremy's an English guy, I know, um, because he's spoken to us before. Uh, and we've never had a, a history in the UK of having um, sort of product placement type advertising. In fact, up until literally two weeks ago, um, product placement, even on our TV shows, was not allowed. So we, we always see in all the TV shows over here, you will see Apple computers with all the logos covered up because it's it's actually, up until recently, was against broadcasting guidelines to do product placement. So we've never had the history you've had in the States of, you know, um, and now uh, let me talk about our sponsor or now let me talk about um, this particular product and where the people generating the content actually talked about the advertising, which I know is something you've had that in the States, you know, for, for a long very long time. So, so it, it does it. When we started hearing that on American podcasts, when it first kind of came up, it really rubbed British people up the wrong way. Cause it's just not, it's not in our nature. It's so, just so not done. Little... Well, we're coming up towards the end of the show. So I want to get back to Rev here before we uh, finish up. I know you got an iPhone over there, Rob. What's your favorite app that you use that's not, you know, the built-in apps? Uh, I use actually two that are probably my most favorite. Uh, Pandora for music, which is now over regular 3G network, and yep. it never used to be. Um, and then I use uh, the GPS app called uh, Map My Ride. Yeah. Which somebody is, else uh, was just talking about this that on the show too. I don't remember who it was now, but um, somebody else was really into Map My Ride. Yeah, it's it's it's. They also do it for running and walking, and I think there's another one that you can use it for too. It's all this basically the same thing. Is it lets you use the GPS function of the of the phone to basically calculate your time and your distance and your average speed and, and the whole ball of wax, and so that when you get back, you can actually pull it up off the computer and it actually pulls it up through Google Maps and you can make little notes and it, keep like a, a running diary of your workout. Your run. Yeah, of your run or your bicycle or your walk or whatever, and it's, it's, it's also like an online sharing community. You can send it out and say, "Hey, look, here's the ride that I did last week. Anybody want to try it? I did it in an hour and a half, kind of a." Thing. Oh, so you you can actually give your route to someone yeah, else to you can try share it, it on out. Your own. That's yeah, kind of cool. And then you can actually send it to them. It's just like, here's the route I took, and you know, and then you can send notes on how hard it was, and it shows all the elevations and everything. Well, one of mine right now is Tweety Two. Um, 
and I know that we're we're actually going to have that developer on the show here pretty soon. But uh, after we talked about it on that show, David, uh, Tweety 2 actually came available two days later and I bought it. I'm really happy with it, except it remembers where you were the last time you used it, which sounds like a great thing. But I kind of want it, when I launch it, to see the newest things right at the top. I don't want to see what I was at three hours ago or two days ago the last time I launched the app. I want to see the, the most current right at the beginning. And yeah, I don't like it, that, and there's no way to turn that off. Yeah, they need to put a, a switch in for that. And the other thing I've noticed as well, I think this must must be a bug, is that um, if I like if I was a far up Tweety now uh, and look at the latest timeline and then uh, put my phone on to charge and go to bed, when I wake up in the morning and go back to it, it will sh- it will show where I was and it will show me, you know, put, uh, the timeline from twelve hours ago, and then it will repopulate the timeline but only go back about four hours so i'll miss a block of tweets in the middle but you still have to sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll to get back to the top of the screen mm-hmm. yeah i would do but the point is is there's actually a whole pile of tweets i'm missing in that list yeah. whereas with the old version it would show it would allow me to go back and see the entire history uh, for instance like you know I, I i saw a listener comment from last week's uh, geeky show ever show that i only found by searching because i missed it in the list because it it didn't populate the the tweets i've missed overnight because... i didn't see that tweet <laughs> so uh, you have to say so, yeah that one to I, me. <laughs> yeah i've i've actually uh, i've actually reported it as a bug so um hopefully that's something that they will they will do well he's going to be here on the show so we can we can hit him up on that saying hey oh, give us the so... opportunity to turn that quote-unquote feature off there's a there's a new app i just got that i've been really loving called red laser i don't know if you've seen this sam Sam levin on one of our sister podcasts sam's cool picks actually talked about this okay uh yeah i've not i'm I'm not caught up with that actually Uh you're not even listening come on (laughs) no i i I have i have all of them on my uh on my itunes i've just not listened to them all so what red laser does is basically uses your camera to uh, you, you hit the button and it draws a little pair of uh, brackets on your camera screen, and then if you put a barcode in that space in the middle, it scans it uh, and then looks it up on Google products uh, and tells you, you know, how how people are uh, how people are uh, you know how much people are, are selling the product for, and it's really really good at identifying the barcodes. I mean, you would think it would be kind of clunky taking a picture and then identifying the barcode barcode out that but they've really got it down you literally just get that barcode in the middle and it immediately beeps and identifies the products and then goes and searches it for you off the internet um and uh, it's already saved me a fair amount of money i've only had it for a few days so uh red laser it's called and uh, you might want to you might want to take a look at that there have been attempts to do applications like that on the iphone in the past but then the camera wasn't good enough honestly yeah but but uh, and I'd, I don't know how how well this would work on the three G. I don't have a three G phone to try it on, but certainly on the three GS, it's it's kind of like it is like having a barcode scanner in the phone. What do you got, guy? Uh, one that I think uh, you and I both have the Navigon's mobile navigation mm-hmm. app, yep. which I plan on. Uh, I'm going to try to do a uh, a video review on that on my way to Chicago. Oh, okay, that ought to be interesting. So that's what you're going to use to get there. Yes. Let's hope it and works. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna live da- dangerously and leave my uh, garment at home. I, what I need to do is, oh, we were talking about on the geekiest show ever, and hopefully anybody listening to this podcast also subscribes to that one. Uh, guy, you and I were talking about Wolfgang's Vault. I downloaded it and used it, and it works great. 
I've downloaded it, but I, I haven't haven't done the account yet. I still need to do that. Yep, it's uh, it, for those who don't listen to Geeky Show ever, Wolfgang's Vault website has a, uh, a huge, huge catalog of concerts that you could actually listen to. Uh, most yeah, of them are very amazing. older stuff from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Some from the and, 60s as well. Yeah, but some really big groups like, you know, The Who and Santana and, you know, really good stuff. And I wanted to listen to some of that on the iPhone. And when we were talking about it on Geeky or Show Ever, I actually pulled up their website, saw that they had an iPhone app, downloaded it, and I've used it a couple times now. And it works great. It's just a fantastic app. So and it, and it works. Uh, do you have to like sync it through your computer? No, absolutely not. All you have to do is uh, download the app, sign into your account. Accounts are free, and it asks you right there on the app if you don't have an account, you can sign up for one. And then it just simply has a, a listing of all their concerts, and you can just click play, and boom, it just streams it right to your phone. Oh, that is so cool. I don't know if it works over uh, 3G. I'm going to say it probably does because, like you were saying, Reb, that m- most of them are now. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's starting to pop up over the 3G network that, that never, ever used to. It's like if you weren't connected to a wireless network, you were basically, forget it. Now, yeah, what's screwed. that subscription service? Is it Rhapsody? Is that the what, music? Pandora? No, no, no. The uh, the one that just came out. Is it Rhapsody that just came out on the iPhone? No, there's um, uh, Spotify. No, no, there was another one. There was a big one that just came out on the iPhone. And I actually saw a commercial on television. All the music you can eat or something like that, such and such a month. And I thought, wow, they're actually, I think it's Rhapsody. I don't know. It's one of them. And um, it's on the iPhone now. And I thought, it's a music subscription, but it, it's, you know, I don't know if I really want to go that route. Um, do you yeah, think, Rhapsody America. Yeah, that's what it is. And I don't know if I really want to spend money to, to listen to anything I want. I think Reb, Pandora is probably a better solution for most people. Yeah, yeah, you can really customize Pandora to... to absolutely anything that you want it's like it, it'll play a song and you can create like a playlist of that song while it's playing and it'll go up and search its system and you can save it even even off your iphone it's like once you create your account it's pretty much endless now you you know rob you've got a good voice um you ever think about getting into podcasting yourself uh i used to do video work way back in the early 80s and uh with a buddy of mine but i've never really dived into the podcast and just because of the fact i just i don't have enough time to do a lot of this kind of stuff well if you break your I've... legs it might be something to think about yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i live close enough i could probably go over there and handle that there you go <laughs> <laughs> i got enough room with this new house yeah so reb i want to thank you for being on the show this week we got to wrap up because uh, i know guy has to run and we're back yes it's been a week since we recorded that last part of the podcast uh, which I'll refer to as the whole show. <laughs> um, but it's been a week later. Apple has some big product announcements. So David Cohen is joining me to kind of put a, uh, a wrap on what happened with Apple and uh, financial results. Uh, some really great new products, great looking new products. I haven't tried any of them, so I can't say they're great. Um, but let's talk about it a little bit, David. Apple came out with some really cool stuff this week. They did, and it's funny. At the weekend, I was um, I was at a kind of a... a party and and somebody was saying oh do you know anything about these these apple macs you know i'm thinking about getting an imac and i said to them i said don't 
I actually took his number. I said, don't buy, go to the Apple store and buy anything till, till I call you because the rumors are that they're going to update the machines fairly shortly. Uh, sure enough, Tuesday, here they came and um, new iMacs, a new MacBook, uh, new Mac minis and um, new, uh, some new peripherals as well. Yeah, new mouse. Let's, let's start with the mouse. It seemed like the Mighty Mouse was universally hated. Um, I used mine because I liked the functionality and I liked the feel of the mouse, but the cord was horrible on it. And uh, it, the little scroll ball at the top, ball at the top, kind of went janky with me a few times. Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm actually using a Mighty Mouse right now, and the problem with the the ball, the the ball itself actually works really well, but it's 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 impossible to clean it. Yes, because you can't take you can't take it out, and you can't get the mouse open. Um, and uh, you, you're right; the cord is short. So it, ex- it expects to be used with a keyboard with well, an Apple it's keyboard. It's also too it. light. It's just well, I use mine with a, an Apple keyboard, David, but the yeah. cord itself is just doesn't have any weight. No, and uh, I, I, it needs a weighted cord so it stays out of the way and stays put where you put it. This cord just kind yeah. of flops all over the place. Yeah, it's not great. And also, as well, the Mighty Mouse had those has those buttons on the side that yep. basically you can't press because of where they are and how hard they are. Yep. So uh, it it was a product which you know it was fine. It looks it looks kind of cool, but actually in practice, it's difficult, a bit difficult to use. The new mouse looks really cool, though. Well, it does. The, it has um, capacitive touch technology built all the way into the top, and no buttons at all. Which, as we all know, is Steve Jobs' big thing. He doesn't like buttons. So the idea behind this is that you can either use it as a left-right mouse, but in fact you can um, pull your finger back and forth over the surface and use multi-touch on it as well to um, give gestures to the computer and actually um, scroll up and down, kind of like you can on the iPhone by flicking, which looks, looks like a wicked feature, to be honest. Um, I'm not so sure about some of the other gestures because... I would imagine it would be kind of a bit discontinuous to actually have to take your hand off the mouse and kind of do a, a double finger gesture and make sure the mouse doesn't move underneath you while you do it. Yes. So I'll be interested to see how well that works. It, but, it's, um, it's interesting. I, I want to try it, but I don't know if I want to buy it. Well, I'm definitely going to try it, but um, certainly from, from the pictures I've seen, it, it looks like a very good mount. I mean, it's wireless Bluetooth. So it looks like a very good mouse to accompany my laptop. To be honest, it is. I don't think I would, I don't think I put one on my desktop machine, but I would like to have one with me with my laptop. But you know, it's seventy dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's seventy dollars, David. I know that's a it's, lot of money for. It's actually a a, mouse. it's actually a bit it's a it's a bit more expensive over here. It's about fifty five pounds, which is a little bit more than seventy dollars. Yes. Um, if you if you go out and buy a good wireless are you just admitting mouse? that you're just the ultimate fanboy to spend that much money on a mouse that you don't need come on I, well I, I, come on sad, sad, i'm kind of looking <laughs> around at all the laptop bags and things i have in here i actually have probably about five or six different mice already exactly you don't you I'm, don't I'm, need this but it's new I'm, and we want to yeah. we want it it's a new apple product i mean you know. uh, it, it, the thing is that price point for me is a very good price point because that's the sort of price point where when it comes up to Christmas or birthdays, I can say to somebody, just get me that and that'll be a good present. 
Yeah, I, I go from, with you there. From what I'll take. The next one, um, Apple bumps the Mac Mini line. You know, it, there's been so many, so much discussion over the years that Apple really doesn't like to sell the Mac Mini. It's a loss leader for them. Um, Bill Palmer from iProng said that, you know, it, it, Apple, it's a dud for them. I don't think I Apple th- would sell anything for this long that's a dud. I, I think that's actually a complete uh, misunderstanding of the true facts. The, I had a look at a, an article from Mac Mini Colo, who um, basically have data centers built with Mac Minis. I read the same article. Uh, yeah, and they said in there that the thing, out, the, by their estimation, it outsells the Mac Pro by a substantial margin. And so, now obviously they're in the business of using Mac Minis, but they think they're fantastic machines, and and they think it's a big, bigger seller than people give it credit for. I know that I know plenty of people who have them and really, really love them. So they have a 599, 2.26 gigahertz, and a 799 at 253 gigahertz. But what's interesting to me is they also have a 999 machine that does not have an optical drive, has a secondary hard drive, and comes shipped with macOS X server on it. And this is, a, I think, is a very important product for Apple because I think there's plenty of small businesses who would like to get into Apple computers um, because they recognize some of the advantages and the value in the software. But the problem is, is that if you run a small business, you're always going to have to connect those Apple computers to to a server, and it's difficult if you haven't got technical technical knowledge to con- configure, you know, five or six iMacs to use. Uh, a Windows, and it typically will be a Windows email server and file server and all of that sort of thing. And of course, it's difficult to find somebody to support you doing that. Because who do you go to? Because everyone you go to is either going to be a Mac guy or they're going to be a Windows guy. There's very few people who can support you on both. So the fact that you can now go and spend a relatively small amount of money and buy a small box that actually will do all the server functions for you as well, I mean, OS X server has the mail, it has the spam filtering, it has the AV, all kind of built in, really easy to configure, really easy to manage. I, I think that's going to be a pretty strong proposition for a lot of small businesses. I agree. The uh, other big product, another big product, I should say, the low-end MacBook was updated. comes with 2.26 gigahertz, 250 hard drive. A gigabyte hard drive. It's not megabytes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it does have a super drive in it still. It has the new battery, which they say goes up for seven hours. We'll see. Uh, it comes with two gigs of RAM. And it has uh, the new polycarbonate unibody enclosure, which is still plastic, but, you know, it's not metal. So, so basically, this is, apart from some minor differences, like it's missing FireWire port. Yeah, that um, kind of bothers missing... me. Yeah, it's missing an SD card slot. Um, but apart from that, it's virtually identical to the low-end 13-inch MacBook Pro. Yep. Uh, for $200 less. Well, it, it doesn't come with the aluminum body, which, as someone who owns one of those now, not the 13, the 15, um, they're so solid and sturdy with that aluminum body. I mean, it's just... Is it aluminum? It's not aluminum, is it? Uh, yeah. Is it aluminum? Uh, well, the... The yeah. New, yeah, okay. The, the the MacBook Pro is aluminum, yeah. Aluminium. Actually the, the the it's actually got a few advantages over the low end MacBook Pro. Uh the low end MacBook Pro only has a hundred and sixty gig hard drive. 
So right. there, there, so you know, there's the large drive. Yeah. But for two hundred bucks, which one would you go with? Well, if you could afford the two hundred dollars, obviously you'd rather go for the metal one. Um, I think this a, is aimed at schools. I think that a two hundred dollar well, that, price difference that, is huge. If you're going to buy these I, in that's bulk, that's what just I was going to say. If you're buying these in volume, then that two hundred dollars really adds up. And also, I think you could make an argument that um, a white polycarbonate machine is not going to show the lumps and bumps up as much as, a, as the metal machines will. So if you're in an environment where these machines are going to take some abuse, then you probably would be happier with the polycarbonate shell rather than the metal shell. Because I have to say, much as I love my, my uh, aluminium MacBook Pro, I do worry about the first time I scratch it. Yeah. Because I'm going to be heartbroken because, <laughs> you know, it yeah. looks so nice. Yeah. And and yet with the with the white machines, if you get a scratch on it, um, it might you might be able to see the scratch if it's a kind of a dirty scratch. But you buff the dirt out of it and you're not really going to see it. But then again, um, it is a, it's a nine ninety nine machine. You're not as concerned at a nine ninety nine machine as you are as a fifteen hundred dollar machine. No. And I guarantee at that price point, there is not another plastic machine on the market that will be as tough as this is. I agree. Because it is, it is being unibody. That means it's a solid piece of plastic. There are no joins. The base is, um, is one big rubber foot with, uh, on an aluminium base. And I think that the, also speaks you know, to the education market. Absolutely. So I, I think this is aimed at, at students and uh, and you know, high schools and people like that who want to buy these machines in volume, and I suspect they will not be able to make them quick enough. The other big news, of course, and uh, it's the iMac. They've all been updated. They're all bigger. It used to be a 20-inch iMac was the low end. Now it's a 21.5-inch. In fact, the yeah. low-end Mac for $1199, 21.5-inch screen, 3.06 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo. It ships with 4 gigs of RAM. A 500 gig hard drive, and an NVIDIA GeForce 9400M graphics card. That's a good machine. There's That's no... a very, very, very good machine. I mean, uh, obviously it's not portable, and Apple, as we know from the quarterly results, is selling a lot more portables than they are desktop machines. It's quite, wow. yeah, it's, it's quite, quite the, um, it's quite the the dominant force in the Macs is is the laptops, but. You know, there are plenty of people who still buy the IMAX, and, and this really, I mean, is, is an astonishing value. These these new screens are, are um, LED. They're a new LED process that gives much um, better contrast ratios and also much wider viewing angles than the existing, the previous machines. And also, they're in the proper widescreen format, 16:10 aspect ratio on the 16:9, which is good for video. Um, Absolutely. A lot of people have asked me, what's the difference between LED and my current iMac? Well, I've got a 2.8 gigahertz, 24-inch iMac, and I thought that this screen was nice and bright. Um, it looks fantastic, but quite honestly, when I compare it to my new 15-inch MacBook Pro, the new MacBook Pro is twice as bright. The whites are a lot whiter than they are. In fact, the whites on my 24-inch iMac almost look yellowish compared to the new MacBook Pro. Yeah. So the new LED display technology really makes a big difference. And it uses much less power as well. Absolutely. Which um, is, is becoming important not just in the laptops but in the desktops as well. These things often sit on our desks doing not very much. And so the less juice they, uh, they suck up, the better it is for everybody, really. Absolutely. Yeah, we're environmentally conscious. 
Doesn't mean that we always follow it, but we're at least conscious of it. Um, yeah. Of course, it goes up to uh, the big, brand new 27-inch. Now, there's two of these, David, and there's been some debate on which one is a better machine. You can get a 27-inch, 3 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo for $16.99, or a quad-core 27-inch, 2.66 gigahertz Intel Core i5 chip. So yeah. a lot of people are thinking, well, why would I go with the... Uh, the 2.6 gigahertz machine over the three gigahertz machine. It's why is why are they charging more, David, for a slower machine? Well, the Core i5 is is the based on the Nehalem um, processor line from Intel, so that's the latest processor line. Whereas the the three gigahertz ones are Core two, which is an older design. Um, so even though even though the clock speed on the Core i5 is lower, it actually performs much better than the previous. Machine, so that goes back core, to the megahertz myth that Apple exactly. used to talk about all the time, yeah. combating so, the Intel chips. So basically, what 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 um, Intel would say, and this this has kind of been backed up by benchmarks, is if you look at each core individually on a core on a Core i5 or a Core 2 Duo, the 2.6 gigahertz cores on the i5 will perform as fast as the 3 gigahertz cores in the Core 2. So actually, they're equivalent. Those, the, the, the newer chip, even though it's slower clocked, is equivalent in processor power per clock. And, of course, you're getting four cores on that processor rather than two. You're also getting a much so, better graphic card on the top-of-the-line machine as well. Absolutely. You're getting, basically, you're getting a much stronger architecture. That machine, the, the Core i5 machines are going to last you a lot longer because they, they're basically going to keep up as um, applications demand more power going forward. The whole architecture of the Core i5 is much better um, and obviously you're getting the extra added value features that Apple are throwing in there as well. So, you know, if you want the ultimate future proofing, it's worth spending the extra $300 on the $2,000 iMac rather than the $1699. But having said that, um, you know, if you, if you buy the cheaper ones, you're not going to be disappointed because all of these machines are fantastically powerful. Absolutely. The other thing is, and I'm... To be honest, I don't know if this is just on the top-of-the-line machine or this is all of them. Um, and I'm looking on their website, and I still haven't found any information. But a lot of people have been complaining that Apple still hasn't adopted Blu-ray built in on the Macs. Well, the new iMac, I know at least the 27-inch does, and I don't know if the 21-inch does or not, has a built-in in HDMI port. So you yeah. can plug in... A Blu-ray player directly to your Mac and watch movies that way, but well, more importantly, and that's not really what it's for. It's really for connecting game consoles to your Macintosh. To to me, that's more what it's about. I'd I'd, I'd hesitate to say you can play Blu-ray through it because one of the things in the Blu-ray spec is it expects to see encryption all the way to the end to the screen. And maybe there is and, on the iMac. We don't know. Well, we we don't know. But the point is, if it if if it isn't, then you can plug a Blu-ray in blu-ray player in via it over the hdmi port fire it up and you won't get a picture you'll just get a blank screen mm -hmm. or you might get a degraded picture on the screen so um i i think if if apple were were thinking that's what people want to do they would have mentioned it in the marketing material the fact that they haven't says to me that they they're expecting people with a big 27 inch screen to plug in either a cable box or um a, a games console and basically use it for watching content that way it also says right on there, um, 
website that the 27-inch model can be attached to a wall mount, articulating arm, or other VESA-compliant mounting solution using yeah. the optional Visa VESA mount adapter kit. In other words, you can put one of these new iMacs, it supports it, putting it on your wall. Yeah. I'm, I heard that, and I struggle to think why I would ever want to do that. I know that at 27 inches, I mean, that's bigger than, than, I mean, we used to have TVs that were much smaller than that. So I know it's pretty big. But the thing is, once it's up on the wall, to me, it's much harder to use it as a computer. And I would not want to spend two to two and a half thousand dollars on a machine that just goes up on the wall I use as a TV. I'm sure that they're also an articulating arm, though, which could be very beneficial if everything on on the machine is wireless. You can just pull it down towards you and use it and push it up out of the way and pull your second or third 27-inch iMac that's doing other tasks. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's kind of neat that they're including that. because it, yeah. That tells me that Apple is kind of looking out there and seeing what people may or may not want. And this is something they think people actually would want. I think that's kind of borne out by how many people are putting devices on their wall like this now, the big TVs. So, And I suppose what you could do is you could put the 27-inch um, iMac up on the wall and then have a sidecar monitor that was down on your desk that you actually use for your day-to-day work. Well, I don't know why you would do that, though. I mean, Well, if you want... But why would you put the 27-inch gorgeous LED backlit display up on the wall that you're not going to use on a daily basis? Well, no, because you can use that for watching TV and video and that sort of thing, and then you're... When you actually wanted to be doing close-up work, you would have a, a separate monitor on the side. I mean, let's face it: if you're if you're that that's a, that's a fairly exotic setup. So uh, if yeah, you're doing that, knows? you know, who knows how you do it? So Apple also posted their quarterly results. We're not going to go through all the numbers, but there's one number that kind of jumped out at me, David, and that is Apple has right now enough cash without going to a bank. Without getting financing, Apple has enough cash on hand to buy Dell. Yes, which kind of puts into uh, perspective the, uh, the the famous comment from Michael Dell, uh, you know, way back in, in in the times when Apple was really in trouble, saying, "Well, I don't know why they don't just give give all the sell the company and give all the money back to the shareholders. Maybe uh, maybe Apple should buy Dell and do the same." What what would why would Apple ever buy Dell? I had someone well, say, "Do you think Apple might actually buy Dell?" And I say, "No, no, why? I don't think so." Well. Dell is struggling right now. Apple's not, and that brings up my last point before we wrap up officially this show, David. For the last year and a half, all the non-Mac technology pundits and some of the Mac technology pundits have been criticizing Apple for not having a netbook in their arsenal of computers. Yeah. And that Apple is losing a lot of potential sales, especially in the downturn economy, by not having a netbook. What's your answer to that? Well, I, I think Apple's strategy is exactly right. They're, um, the financial results kind of prove it. They are... What people, I think, who comment like that fail to understand is that unlike many most companies in the technology industry like microsoft and everything who are driven by you know a a desire for massive massive growth every single quarter 
and massive sales and massive everything. It's not just growth. It's about they want to see profits increase. They want to see market share increase. They want to see um, every single metric that uh, they present to their shareholders going up and up and up with every single quarter. Apple doesn't. What Apple wants to do is they want to continue making more money every quarter and they want to continue to grow every quarter. But what they're not interested in is grabbing huge market share. Yep. Because they don't need to, because they can grow, they can make more money hand over fist in a recession than any other tech company on the planet without grabbing 15, 20, 25% of the market. And so to them, there's no interest in doing that. What they are doing is they're diversifying. They've got a, um, they had the iPod line that was, that was keeping the company going very well. They've had the Macs that have been going from strength to strength. They now have the iPhone that's actually doing, you know, gangbusters. So they have a, a broad product mix. But what they're doing is they are growing incrementally. But every single thing they make, and this is what people fail to understand, every single product they make is hugely profitable. And it's they also get, usually best in class. Absolutely, but the, but that's the reason they get twenty five to thirty percent margin on every single thing they sell, and the reason they get that they can command that sort of margin in a recession is because of the quality of the products and the attention to detail. Yep. But and and they've got the price levels and the price points and the the delivery to the consumer at just the right point that it's while it's expensive. It's not so expensive that you that they price themselves out in the market. It's not a you know a high end ultra thin Sony Vio that costs three thousand dollars. It's it's a laptop that's affordable. Absolutely. Yes, it's it's more expensive than the Dells and the HPs and that sort of thing. But it's not unachievably expensive. It's and not even a Rolls Royce. People are still spending the money. Absolutely. I mean, they, they, I, just look at their quarterly result. And this was the quarter. These were the results for the quarter that. All the tech pun, not just the tech pun, everybody was saying that nobody is spending money right now. Everybody is yep. holding off on the big purchases. And yet, Apple just sold more Macs in that quarter than ever before. Yeah. Ever. And I think this says a lot about the, the product line for this company that we're covering here every day on this podcast, David. I want to thank That's you right. for spending the extra time coming back to uh, put this uh, finishing touches on the podcast so we can kind of have a little bit more up-to-date. I know a lot of people were curious on what we were going to say about, you know, the new products. They they look very exciting to me. I want one of each, but I won't get them. Um, I, I don't have any plans to replace my iMac anytime soon, but if I was going to, I would definitely go with one of those 27-inch. It looks fantastic. I don't think I'm going to buy the mouse. It's just cost prohibitively. $70 for a mouse just doesn't make a lot of sense to me i am uh very pleased with most apple products but that's just kind of out of my price range right now if i had some extra disposable income maybe but maybe not even then i just haven't been really happy and i know guy Searle said the same thing to me on the telephone we haven't been very happy with any apple mouse in a long 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 no. time well so. uh, yeah i'm i'm gonna be visiting the states um just after christmas this year so um, I'm going to wait till then before I buy one and uh, so I can get a chance to see what people really think of it. It's going to be interesting. Uh, this coming Saturday, as you guys are listening to this podcast, uh, Guy Searle and myself are going to go to Chicago on October 24th and we're going to visit Otherworld Computing. We're going to do a, a podcast, probably some video work there. 
So the next podcast that you hear from us is going to be a special edition uh, recorded live at Otherworld Computing. Of course, they are the sponsor of this podcast. That's not necessarily why we're going there. We just think it sounds really fun and kind of cool. And uh, hopefully we'll have a good time. Um, the next time that uh, we have a listener invite, uh, it's going to be uh, Steve Sandy. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Steve. I know a lot of you guys recognize the name. We also have Bill Dundee coming up. He's an iPhone developer. And in the meantime, please go up to iTunes and rate the podcast. Give us a review. We'd appreciate it. The more people review it, the better the chances are that it's going to move up on the recommendation list. Uh, we actually were up there for a little bit, David. Yep. Um, didn't stay there, though. I don't know why. I think Apple well, hates us. <laughs> I think I think it's it's a it's a very fickle list. Yes. The, uh... It it's friends of Leo list, and we're not friends of Leo, I guess. So we don't make the list. <laughs> don't, don't With that, we're gonna wrap. Yeah, don't, yeah. With that, we're gonna wrap up uh, show two hundred and sixty three. David, appreciate it. See you next Always week. Always pleasure. Bye bye. Thanks for downloading and listening to the MyMac.com podcast.